Hi, I'm Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, author of the book, A Forever Family, but most importantly, I'm the father of five children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a radio host and now the director of communications for Comfort Cases. Our country's foster care system is shattered, and the podcast is about how we, as a community, can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today we are talking to Dr. John DeGarmo, founder of the Foster Care Institute, an educational resource for foster parents. He has written multiple books about foster care. He's been featured on Good Morning America, The Today Show, CNN, and lots of other major news outlets. And Dr. DeGarmo told the story of how the system completely failed his foster daughter in his very powerful TEDx talk. Thank you for being with us today, John. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. John, I will tell you that, you know, first of all, I've I've also done a TEDx and it was probably the hardest thing that I have ever done. And I'm a public speaker, Um, but yours was so moving. It was so moving. And, you know, it's I think every single day we're failing kids in our system. And so um, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'd love for you to talk more about it to our listeners. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I really enjoyed the TED Talk. It was a like you, I speak for a living, and uh, it was just a different experience, and it was for me, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was great, 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 a great time doing it. But it was, it was about a story, a personal story uh, of a ch- how the system failed a, a child in my life, and and why I'm driven to change the system every single day, driven to make the system a better system for all involved, not just for the children, but the foster parents, the birth parents, the caseworkers, and everybody in society. Uh, and I, I delivered that TED talk mainly to bring awareness to what's going on, because I believe awareness equals advocacy. Not not everybody can be a foster parent, to be sure. Hardest thing I've ever done. Most rewarding thing I've done, but hardest thing I've done. But I wanted to let people know that, you know, this is what's going on, and this is how you, as an individual, can help children in your community who are suffering, whether it's from suffering from child abuse, neglect, human trafficking, whatever it might be. Wow. You know, I, I agree 100% with you, by the way. Not everybody is meant to be foster parents. Um, you know, and for me, when we decided to take that journey to become foster parents, we had no one to look to. We didn't, you know, here are these two guys living in D.C., decide to be parents and decided, and by the way, I didn't want to be a foster parent. Um, I grew up in the system. The system failed me. And um, the thought of being connected to that shattered system was a nightmare, but it was actually my husband who was like, listen, you know, you look how successful you've become, you know, we should give back. And, and I will tell you, I write very, very openly in my book about, um, how the system, even years after I'd been in it, how the system is still shattered in so many ways. Mm, You know, I hate to hear stories like that, but sadly that's the case. You know, it, uh, we have a foster care system that is in crisis for a few different reasons, and as a result, children slip through the cracks and children suffer. 
uh, and we can't allow that to happen anymore. Yeah, and and I agree that we can't allow that to happen, John. But the, you know, uh, it's it's still it's happening. I mean, I I'm I'm this guy who says this industry is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing, um, and it's making money on the backs of children. And what I feel that we need to do is we need to figure out how we can help the family before a child ever even enters the system. That's so very true. It sadly starts in the home. Starts in the home. You're right. It it truly does. You know, I was I sit on a, a a cohort's board, and you know, trying to help reform the foster care system. And and one of the things we talk about is, you know, wh- why couldn't you know we have kids who come into the system and they go to foster parents? Why can't we find communities that actually go into the family and help stabilize the family? You know, I mean, we know that if when it comes to abuse, and by the way, I have two of my five children came to us with severe abuse and they could never go back to their their bio family. But my other children, um, they came into the system because the system failed their mother. You know, I mean, I'm lucky to have an amazing relationship with two of my children's biological mother. I love her to death. I can't thank her enough for giving me two beautiful children. But I also am saddened because the system so worked against her because one, she was a woman of color. Number two, she was, you know, not educated um, and we didn't pay a living wage. And so instead of us coming in and trying to support her and help her, we took her two kids and put them in foster care and then said she was an unfit mother. Well, two of the three I've adopted are third generation of foster care, which means their parents and birth parents were also in the system and the system failed them in some way as well. In fact, their mother was, uh, their birth mother was a prostitute out by age nine by her father and there was no way, no way she could have parented her children when she was suffering from her own anxieties, her own traumas, and never got the professional help that she needed. And then that's what happens to a lot of these children. They're coming from environments where their own parents are suffering from their trauma, their anxiety, and never got the help, the professional therapy, professional counseling, professional services that they need. And it just, it just continues on into the next generation, sadly. I agree. I agree 100% with you, John. I agree that, you know, it is, seems like just a cycle that just, you know, if we go back and look, it's just a cycle. And and I look at that, you know, with, with my children as well. And, you know, I'm, I love being a dad. I'm like you. I mean, be, being a foster parent and a parent was the hardest job in the world, but I'll tell you, it's the most rewarding job. And we just had our fifth child, as I said, arrive last year, and we never thought that we would have a fifth child. And now we're actually, my husband and I are open to having an older child. Um, but one of the things that I heard you say, you know, is, is, is the mental part of this. And I think that that is something that, that we as a system, and I say we, cause I think you and I are both are leaders when it comes to this, that we do not seem to address the mental aspect of when these kids come into the system. Well, you know, I often tell the agencies that I train, work with and train and foster parents I work with that, uh, you know, despite all of the trauma a child may have experienced before coming into foster care, it is a time of anxiety being placed into foster care itself. It is a time of loss. It is a time of anxiety. It is a time of um, issues of, this is where issues of trust, attachment arise sometimes in their place in the foster care. It's scary. It is a scary time being placed into a foster care home. It took me a while 
to recognize that uh, the children don't want to be in my home. You know, it took me a while to recognize that they were scared. I thought when I first became a foster parent almost, gosh, almost two decades ago, that uh, the kids would be happy to be in my home. You know, here I am providing stability, structure, consistency, unconditional love, giving all of my heart to these children. But they were scared. They didn't know who I was. They, they, My house, my family, my stability was not their norm. They wanted their norm. They wanted their mommies and daddies. However horrific it might have been, that was their norm. Uh, so when they come to my home, it's a frightening time. And then I write in one of my books, a children's book, actually, these kids ask me questions like, why am I here? When do I go home? Do I see mommy next? Uh, will I stay here forever? Does mommy not love me anymore? Questions I, I initially was unprepared for. Uh, and then I recognized, you know what? There's nothing I can really do those first few nights to bring calm to a child that is completely frightened. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I'm a stranger. I'm a stranger. Yeah. I'm a stranger. Yep, yep, you exactly right. I mean, I remember the first time that I had somebody say to me, um, you know, at one point I was I was the the guy on the 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 soapbox who was like, you know, don't call us strangers. We're 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 giving you know support, and then I realized, no, well, that's exactly what we are. We're strangers. Um, and and I was just like you when it came to why would a child not want to love me? Because look at all that we have to give. Um, but it's what they're dealing with. Do you think, John, that if one of the things that I've always had this big issue with is that. Um, I feel like, you know, the foster parents, the bio parents, the social workers, the CASA workers, the guardian ad litem, everybody seems to be on a different island. And I, I've never, I always, I always dreamed of, and we actually did this with two of our children because I was like, I am, I am determined to show people that this could work is we actually prior to the adoption um, of two of our children, when we knew that that was going to happen, we actually brought all the family together and with our attorneys and we sat down and we talked and we said, listen, what's the best for these kids? And to me, um, as a kid who grew up, you know, in a shattered home and, and not, not really, you know, I'm the youngest of 10 and have no relationship to with my siblings, um, except for one sister. Um, how can we make this the best for them? And what I knew is that it was by you know keeping that family intact in some way or another. And I just don't. I don't. My question, I guess, is why do you think what we don't do this more often? That we don't all come together and say, "Listen, we need the best outcome for this child." Well, that's a great question. You know, I often tell foster parents that uh, caseworkers today are overworked, overwhelmed, under-resourced, underpaid, and during COVID, they're understaffed. Um, and and they and that the lifestyle of a caseworker, the work style of a caseworker, is one that is very challenging, very difficult. In fact, just the caseworkers, uh, the rate of caseworker retention is much like foster parents. Many caseworkers stay after 18 months or two years. I'm done. I'm out of here. This is too hard for me. Um, foster parents the same way. They feel like an island to themselves. No one, no one understands the lifestyle of a foster parent. And I stress the word lifestyle. It is a completely different type of lifestyle. Uh, you know, my friends and my family members say, I've written 12 books. I got my doctorate in foster care. I travel the world talking about this. But my own family members don't truly recognize or understand what, my, what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Uh, so foster parents feel alone because they don't get the support services they need. They don't get the they don't get the there's no support group for them really outside of foster parents. Car, guardian lad lineums and casas there's not enough for them. Um, you know so that there's a big there's a big disconnect there and you're absolutely right when you say that they they need to come together but they're not. You're you're absolutely right. John, you have a foster care institute and a whole program for foster parents. So what do you teach them in that program? And what do you think is the most important thing that the foster parents take from that course that you offer? Mm, wow, what a great question. You know, we offer a lot of services at the foster care institute. We work with not only with foster parents across the, the globe, but also with foster care agencies, child welfare programs. And we offer a number of things. There's there's a number of uh, training. You know, right now we're living in a world right now where, uh, unfortunately, during COVID-19, where uh, many of us cannot get out to get the training hours we need during, due to isolation or distancing, whatever it might be. So we have over 55 hours of online training webinars that foster parents can take and get their CEUs and licensing hours. And agencies are using that as well for their foster parents. We, we coach uh, agencies on how to not only recruit the foster parents, but also retention. I'm a firm believer that recruitment equals retention. You know, agencies can recruit 10 wonderful foster parents, but if nine of them leave after 18 months, you know, your efforts are almost wasted there. Uh, we also help child welfare agencies uh, in, in regards to reaching out to uh, form partnerships with organizations. We work with faith-based groups. We do a lot of things that foster care institutes do. But for foster parents, I often tell them what I just what I just mentioned was they need to find some type of support group. I stress that a lot. Foster parents suffer from burnout. They suffer from stress. They suffer from feelings of grief and loss when a child leaves their home. They suffer from secondary traumatic stress, otherwise known as compassion fatigue. And I've experienced all of those, all of those, several times. So it's important to foster parents that they find some type, again, some type of support group where they can surround themselves with other people who have gone through the same thing they have, and whether it is simply to to vent, if you will, to um, to find help, to seek insight and guidance, to laugh at some of the insane day-to-day challenges that we face as foster parents. Um, you know, so we offer that. Uh, you know, I also tell foster parents, you know, here's something you need to be ready to, to understand is you can't say yes to every placement, even though you might want to. And let me, it's hard for me to say no, but sometimes we do need to say no as foster parents. We need to recognize, and that phone call comes. This is one of our, probably one of our more um, popular webinars. Uh, we need to recognize when that phone call comes for a child. Very, very quickly, if my house is a good house, the placement for this child, if my family is a good fit for the child, if the child's a good fit for my family, and if I can provide the resources and specific type of support this child needs right now, if I can't, then I might need to say no to that child because there's, another, there's a family out there who can provide the support that child needs. And I, I have had over 60-plus kids come to my home. I recognize that I can't. My house is not the best house for every single child in the foster care system. We all have our own strengths. For some, it might be taking care of infants. For some, it might be teenagers. For some, it might be siblings. For some, it might be middle school kids. Whatever it might be, we each have our own strengths. And, you know, uh, I've said no twice to children in foster care. And um, those were important times for my family. Those were important decisions we had to make. Wow. 
Yeah, I have a hard time saying no. So I get it. And and I have not experienced what you've experienced. I mean, I we had our f- first placement. Um we we were totally under the the assumption that they were going to be reunified um and then we had our second placement within 3 months um and so we went from no kids to four kids within 3 months and we just happened to have all four of them stay and we ended up adopting all four of them um you know one of the things that i always say is that it's it's not acceptable for children to sit into a system waiting for parents to be adults um and so what we did is we gave two years um for the the birth parents to get their act together um and then we actually hired our own attorney um and filed for adoption and i remember the social worker saying to us that it was the craziest thing we could do that the the fact that we could lose these children when a court decided that we couldn't legally adopt them and i i remember saying to the social worker and to the courts uh the judge the kids um attorney that um i could no longer just sit here in limbo um, you know, these kids had been with us for a while and, and, and by the way, there wasn't like anybody was doing anything. Nobody was visiting, nobody, you know, they couldn't even come to a one hour supervised visit. And so we actually hired our own attorney and adopted. So we didn't have the experience of the kids coming back and forth, but I will tell you if I had to do it all over again, um, one of the things that, that you said is have a support group. I never saw that, you know, I actually am friends with the, the, the writer and the director of instant family. And when he had his premiere here in DC and they had the whole show and it talked about, you know, the support group that got together in the room and how everybody was laughing. I haven't seen that. And we've had lots of foster parents on our show. Um, and I literally talk to foster parents on a weekly basis. And I don't hear that, John. I don't hear where these so-called groups are there for each other. Where do you see that throughout our country? Well, you know, there are there are there is a lot of them to be sure. Uh, in fact, I help organizations set those up. Uh, in fact, my wife and I help set up our foster parent support group in our community. My my wife and I and another set of foster parents. Um, you know, I also host a uh, I'm an administrator of a foster parent help and support group on Facebook uh, because I thought, you know, what we need to come together online and and find the support we need. Every every Tuesday and Thursday night, I have a question and answer session online for foster parents. Um, you know, there's also those state-level organizations. I believe there's 20 or 25 state organizations that have a state level to, through the National Foster Parent Association. Unfortunately, there, as you said, there is a lack of organizations. And, and foster parents like you and me need to go to our agencies, caseworkers, and say, hey, we need to set up a foster parent support group where we can meet once a month, uh, where we can uh, get some training hours we need, where we can find the support services that we need, where we can surround ourselves with people who are going through the exact type of thing that we're going through. Yeah, I I, I would love to see that. I, I, I would love to see, you know, I would love to see so much happen within our system when it comes to supporting a foster parents because I agree 100% with you. There is there's no support when it comes to foster parents and um 
and again, I totally understand what you said about, you know, the caseloads are high, they're they're stressed out, they're underpaid. But but John, let's let's really be honest. I mean, that's the way it's always been. I mean, that has never changed, just like teachers are underpaid. And if someone who's getting in the field as being a social worker, um, I mean, that's just the reality of it. And again, I don't agree with it. And I believe that, you know, I see the waste of money within our child welfare system, that it just, it sickens my heart that, you know, we could increase their salaries. You know, I always, people ask me quite often, you know, if I could, if I had a magic wand and I could change two things immediately in the foster care system, what would they be? And for me, one of them is I would set these children up for financial success. I feel that, you know, we look at my state of Maryland, we are the second highest paid when it comes to a for a child to, you know, for the stipend. And um, we can't even take part of that stipend money and set up an interest bearing savings account for these kids when they age out. I mean, I it blows my mind. I mean, the state of Maryland was the first state ever to actually take um, allow a child and which this I can't even believe this happens, Dana, that so so if you come into foster care and you come in because of a death of a parent okay so for instance if i were to die my husband would receive a social security check for each one of my children okay up until the age of i think it's 19 um it took us five years to pass a bill in the state of maryland the only state that's done it in the united states where a portion of that money goes to an interest-bearing savings account instead of just being given to the state because the state says, well, we're taking care of them anyway, you know, but we're not taking care of them. Well, you know, there are, uh, I do know some agencies, in fact, ours had the same thing where kids do get an allowance stipend per month. Uh, and we help our children open up a bank account uh, for our kids because we wanted to teach them the importance of learning how to manage money. That's yes. very, very important to me because when they do age out, they, they have that skill. Uh, I do know some other great private agencies where they've been able to uh, lower their caseworker to foster parent ratio. That's something I'm a very strong proponent of. Agencies need to lower that caseworker to foster parent ratio. I think back to when I first became a foster parent. And in my county, there were four caseworkers uh, in our county. Um, now, when I look at, uh, I look at it now, there's one caseworker for four counties. So it has become uh, it's become tremendously difficult as a caseworker. I also recall one time when a caseworker came to me and said, "You know what, uh, uh, John, we're leaving. We're no longer be a caseworker." And I had formed a great relationship with her over the years. She had she had learned to laugh at my jokes, which is to me very very important because <laughs> um, I like to joke with people. So so she came to me and said, "You know, after 18 years, I'm leaving." And I said, "Oh no, why? We're going to miss you." And she said, "Well, my my." I'm no longer able to meet my, my son asked me, mom, when will you ever come home? Um, wow. and her son was in elementary school and, you know, she was doing, you know, the life of the caseworkers hard. They're, they're up all night long, taking, they're called the, the worst hours. It's pretty much a seven day a week job and it's a hard job. But again, foster parents are a hard job too. Now, to be sure, there are bad foster parents. There are bad caseworkers. There's a bad apple in every single barrel of Better society. Better believe it. And every single member, you know, society, every every part of society, they're they're bad eggs. Um, so, and unfortunately, unfortunately, those are the ones that put the uh, that help perpetuate the myths and misconceptions about foster care. 
I, I agree 100% with you on that. Definitely. So you said that you were um, in D.C. over the summer on Capitol Hill. So what were you, were you working on some sort of legislation, and what is that? Yeah, thanks for asking. So Jen Lilly, she's a celebrity actress with Hallmark uh, Channel Movies. She reached out to me, and I, and we talked for a while, and um, and then so I talked to her one day. She's also a foster and adoptive parent, and she's very driven to uh, make the foster care system foster care system better. So I reached out to her one day and said, hey, let's go to Washington, D.C. And, and, and work on this idea we're working on. So we went there. We met with legislators on both sides of the aisle. We met with the Department of Health and Human Services. And and we're working on the reform area of reunification. Now, we, we know that, and I and we're both pro-reunification. I am telling you, I'm pro-reunification. Many of my kids have gone back. I've had 60-plus kids. I've had as many as 11 in my house at the same time, seven in diapers at the same time. Wow. Um, so I'm oh pro-reunification. Yeah, seven and diapers. Let me tell you, that should be illegal. And that all is crazy. <laughs> that, that should be that should be outlawed. We, I remember, we had a uh, one Christmas day, seven and diapers. We, my wife and I, look back upon that as the very smelly Christmas. As we call it. <laughs> John, I'm telling you right now, you're truly my my 100 hero when it comes to that. And what I love is what you just said that you're pro reunification. So am I. You know, people get shocked at me when they think that just because I've adopted four children that it's all about, oh, save the children. No, I am 100% about reunification as long as it's unhealthy in the right way. Right, right, right. And that's, that's why we went there because 50% of children are reunified in foster care. Of that 50%, tragically, 20 to 30% come back into care for a few reasons. Perhaps their family, their families weren't ready. Perhaps their families are struggling with their own addictive problems. Perhaps their families, when the kids go back in the home, perhaps their families are falling back into their previous addictions or they can't handle the parenting. Um, they're no longer in the support services or counseling they need. Maybe the kids are struggling, whatever it might be. The 20 to 30% of those kids come back into care far more traumatized, far more uh, you know, damaged, if you will. Or sometimes the kids go back to an environment, their parents' house, and Tragically, they're killed. You know, unfortunately, there are many reports of that. And my TED Talk is an example of where reunification went wrong and how it ended up in tragedy. So we went to Capitol Hill and said, okay, this is, there's, there's a problem with what we call pre-reunification. Uh, this is how we can reform that so we can lower those terrible statistics and uh, lessen those horrible stories. As I said in my TED Talk, I can't let the young girl was named Sydney in this in this story, and I can't let that happen to another Sydney. I can't let a child go back to an environment that leads to tragedy. Leads to tragedy. It just haunts me to this day. Yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I just, you're a hero to me, John. I mean, it's absolutely, and I love the fact that you're on the hill and you're you're trying to to bring change because, you know. I, I just I am not a firm believer in foster care um and I I I know we have to have it but if we're going to have it let's do it right and the right way is is let's reunify in the right way and what you just said I I hear so many stories and meet so many people who do that what I call it it's the boomerang kids um and they're just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and you know, as you said, so many of them end in, in tragedy. And by the way, tragedy doesn't always mean that they, they, they die. You know, I mean, let's, let's look at our, our prison population. I mean, these kids are, are so in a, put in an environment of unstable that, that, 
they end up, you know, making these petty crimes, trying to survive, trying to, I mean, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm just glad to hear that somebody's up there, you know, doing exactly what you're doing and cannot thank you enough. Homeless situation, prison situation, um, jobless situation, uh, human trafficking, that all, you know, that all tied together. Uh, you know, I, I recall a time where we had five children placed in their home, five siblings. Uh, and, um, we, uh, really were considering the possibility of adopting these children. And, uh, one day I received a phone call from the caseworker and said, Hey, uh, Dr. John, the, uh, children have court today. And I said, I didn't know. I, I, I why, why didn't I know? I, I like to go to court with the kids. I think it's important because court is scary. Court yeah. is scary in a number of reasons. So I want these children to know that, Hey, you know, we're part of the, we're, we're a family. We're in this together. I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you. We're going to stand, we're going to do this together. So I said, the caseworker, you know, uh, I wish I'd known. I would have been there. Well, the, the uncle was in town from Maryland, your state. And uh, the court district, the, the district judge was in town. I'm from a very small town. So we thought we'd have court. I said, okay, well, when is it? It was an hour ago. What? Uh, yeah, so it's, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. I said, well, they're going to go live with their uncle. I said, what do you mean they're going to go live with their uncle? When are they going? They left about an hour ago. I said, if I can't say goodbye? Nope, they've already left. How about their clothes? Nope. I said, well, make me feel better about this. Okay, well, they're going to go live with their uncle. He is. Uh, he has all five children. He also has two children of his own from a previous relationship. He's living with his mother. He was in foster care himself from his abusive mother. He has two jobs, and he's 21 years old. And I lost it. I said, what do you mean a 21-year-old now has seven kids? He's living with his abusive mother. This is not right. This is going to end in failure. And this Six months later, those kids were abandoned by their uncle, living with their abusive grandmother, um, and they eventually found their way back to our home, um, far more traumatized than ever before. You know, it's sometimes the system fails. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, that story just breaks my heart. Yeah, what, what judge gives a 21-year-old five children? I mean, <laughs> that's Horrible. insane, insane. John, do you and, think- and that was a and that was that was probably the first time where I said the same thing my wife has said for a long time. I'm done with this. I'm through with this. I'm so sick and tired of how the system does not work, how it's hurting children. This is not right. There's no way in the world 21-year-old male, not much older than the oldest child who's 14, is going to be able to take care of these kids while he's living with his abusive mother and he has two jobs. It's not going to work. I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired of it failing. And then, of course, you're not going to phone call and I have to put the child in. Um, of course yeah. you did. Of course you did. You know, John, I, I wonder if, you know, that that judge, like I see judges throughout our country, make these these rash decisions um, based on numbers and not based on facts. You know, um, that that's part of it. And also, you know, the, the goal is reunification. You know, for so many people, OK, we must reunify here as a biological parent. There's really the biological relative who is going to take the children. Um, and, and so they rush to that sometimes. Uh, sometimes they rush, as you said, to numbers. Um, yeah, there's a few reasons why. And, and reunification, as you know, because you've adopted four children, does not, is not always the best option for a child. Right, right. No, you're so... And again, and again I'm pro-reunification. 
but the reality is sometimes it doesn't work. Yep. No, I agree 100% with you, John, on that. I agree 100%. I think, you know, we all should be pro-reunification when we step into this arena, but also understanding that it's not always the best thing for the for the child, you know. Listen, I could talk to you forever. You absolutely, I'm really, really a blessed person that I get to meet some amazing people and talk to them. But John, I have to tell you, you're definitely in my top. I want you and I to stay connected. I think that there are so many more things that we can do. I'd love to get a focus group together, talk about different changes that other people who really don't know what they to do, but they can do. Um, I know that you're in my area, as you, you say often. I, you know, if you come to Maryland, D.C., um, I definitely would love for you to visit our center. I would definitely love to sit down and and really talk about you know how we can all continue to be a part of this change because change is exactly what we need to see. And and for me, I, as I, I tell people quite often, change for me is seeing all of our states trying to do the same exact thing because I'm so tired of every state doing something differently. Um, mm, if the wheel exactly. is working and going around, why are we trying to reinvent the wheel? John, listen, we're going to put your TED TEDx talk on our our site, but I would love to know how people can get to more information about your books. Um, I we have lots of social workers that listen to our podcast, including heads of child and family service agencies throughout the country. And I think that it's very, very important they see the resources that you're able to bring because the things that I've learned so much and, you know, hearing you reiterate the fact that, you know, we do have a a retention issue when it comes to foster parents. We do have an issue where we have this this misinformation that all foster parents are bad um, and that all foster parents are in it for the check. And even though we do have those bad apples, just like we have bad apples in so many other places throughout our country, um, having a resource like yours where, you know, doing the training, I, like I said, I wish I would have known you 11 years ago when I jumped (laughs) into this pond. Um, (laughs) It would have guided me a heck of a lot better than it did in the beginning. But like I said, I have five beautiful children and I couldn't ask one more quick question I have for you John you you out of you have six children how many of them you did you adopt we've adopted three three okay we've had four failed adoptions which some reason for some reason the adoptions did not go through so I you know one of the things that that my question for you and and you know if 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 all of a sudden we cut a dead air, it means he didn't want to answer it. We, I, as I said, I have five kids, and you know they all came with baggage, and as we all have baggage, um, how do you, how did you maneuver through that? I mean, how my kids right now are eleven, thirteen, thirteen, sixteen, and nineteen, um, and all of them have something different that they came with, and so what I'm, I guess my question is, you know on those days that are the hardest of days and we know what you and I know what we're talking about. Um, what do you do? What do you, what do you do when you feel like a few things? Uh, first of all, I want to, I want to make sure that, uh, this is very clear in my house. There's no label. There's no foster adopt every child. They're all my children and they're all members of my family. And I love each unconditionally. Uh, so how do I get through it? Um, uh, you know, I could jokingly tell you uh, heavy drugs. Uh, that's usually my joking answer. Um, that's his humor. Uh, because, because when you got 11 kids, let me tell you, it can be pretty exhausting. I go to work to rest sometimes. I go to the foster care institute to rest sometimes because um, it's full while when you get home. You know, how do I get through it? Um, 
prayer. I get through it with the work of my my wife. Um, we support each other. Uh, we recognize that sometimes we need a little bit of time off. I get through with a lot of compassion, patience, flexibility, and again, the unconditional love. I have to understand that, you know what, this child is hurting. This child is not, the words he's saying, the, the things he might be throwing at me, the, the cursing, swearing, whatever it might be, it's not towards me. It's directed towards me, but it's not about me. It's about the child. The child is hurting. And this child needs me to love this child. At the end of the day, I might be the first person who's ever loved this child in a healthy, uh, unconditional way. And this is what this child needs. And they need patience from me, compassion, and understanding. Is it hard? Oh, yeah. Oh, there are those days. There are those days, let me tell you, when I think I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I'm burned out. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we, we created the Foster Care Institute, because I wanted to, you know, I, like you, gosh, when I started this 20 years ago, I wish I there was a place for me to go to. So that's why I created this. Wow. I, I want people to visit the Foster Care Institute. We're going to have that, that link on there. Listen, John, you have been such an eye-opener, and I hope this isn't the last time you're on Fostering Change. And I do hope that we get to, to, to meet in person. And, and, um, I'm just, I'm in, I'm inspired and, um, thank you for being such an amazing hero. You know, we always end our podcast the same way. We always ask our guests a question and Dana, what's that question? If you could change two things about the foster care system right now, what would they be? Uh, it would be lower, lower ratio between caseworker and foster parents. So the, uh, there's a, a stronger relationship between the two so they can work together more in accordance, uh, in alignment. And it would be to provide foster parents a stronger support system. Love it. And we haven't heard those answers before. No, we've no, <laughs> Almost we 60 episodes and we've never heard those answers. So I, thank you. I absolutely love that. And thank you so much. You know, listen, everyone, I'm telling you, the reason we do this is we want to educate our public about the system. And today has been a day that I can tell you, I can't tell you how long it's been since I've been so educated. And John, thank you for that. Again, my friend, I hope we keep in touch. Um, I can't wait to read your book and I can't wait to send you a copy of my book book. And again, let's keep doing what we're doing, which is being part of the change. Those of you who are listening, please re remember we need your help. And what we need you to do is share. Share this podcast. Please go on, make a review. Um, the more people that listen, the more educated we will be. And once again, John, thank you so much. Dana, um, when people are sharing, where exactly are they can they so listen? Fostering Changes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Deezer, and Tune and we are at comfortcases.org slash podcast. And John, can you um, tell our listeners where they can find you, your website and social media and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking. So simply go online, search for the Foster Care Institute or search for Dr. John DeGarmo Foster Care Expert. It will come up. I'm also under Dr. John DeGarmo Foster Care Expert on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Excellent. And we'll put the links on our uh, website, too, at comfortcases.org slash podcast. Better believe it. And remember, everybody, don't forget, we all have an opportunity, and that opportunity is be a good human. So, John, take care, and everybody have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you, John. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. 
And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.